and welcome. Thanks for joining us on Two Sober Chicks with Julie and Lisa. Today, we're welcoming you to another edition of our series on AA Speakers. Please welcome Sarah C. from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, The Beaches Group. Good morning, Sarah, alcoholic, and it's really nice to be here this morning. There's some pretty neat clouds happening out here, and I apologize. I missed the my speaker meeting last week. I'm human, and I don't know what happened. I just totally missed it. In any event, I'm really excited to share my journey with you guys and um, what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now. So if anyone in the room is questioning whether or not they're an alcoholic, maybe my story can help them. Or if um, it just gives more insight as to what our dilemma is, as it says in the big book. My um, journey, what it was like, I, my story might be different than yours or it might completely relate to what occurred for you. And that's why I feel alcoholism is non-discriminatory. I grew up in a loving family. I had two professional parents. I have uh, four older sisters that loved me, who doted on me. I grew up in a nice neighborhood. I have a, had the opportunity for education. And um, I was introduced to drinking when everyone else kind of was. I didn't overly love it. I didn't overly not like it, but I was totally in. And it was fun. But I wasn't, um, I know what obsession and I know what compulsion is because um, AA taught me. And I know the phenomena of craving that occurs after the first drink. And I did not have that in my early days. Um, I am definitely reckless, um, entitled. My sponsor is Lisa, and she sure helped me learning. I'm a perfect candidate for this disease. Um, I definitely was a rule breaker. I was never accountable for my own actions. <laughs> Plus, and I just, I sound like just a wonderful person. Um, I just love to have fun. If I could get away with anything, it was a high. If I got in trouble at school, my dad, my mom was turned on to her profession. She was the psychotherapist in the community. So she had clients. And at the, around the time I came, my dad's career was established. And so he has, he had more time. So he'd come to the school because I got in trouble, for example, in history class, I was a disruptive member of the forum. And my dad would look at the teacher and kind of say, well, that's on you. We're paying for the school. It sounds like you need to give her more work because my marks were always fine. Um, so I wasn't even accountable for being disruptive. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. And then Lisa had me do a fourth on my father, which I thought was so interesting because like my daddy was the nicest guy in the world. However, he didn't set boundaries for me. And so, you know, perhaps um, I needed to do some work around that. And it was really helpful because it helped me reparent myself as an adult. So I went to university and partied, but uh, my marks start, you know, were definitely not stellar. But in our family, if you had a B, you kind of were left alone. So that's probably where the partying for sure interfered. Um, I became a teacher. And I loved it. And I do remember there were, this is when it started kind of edging in. 
remember one morning going to school and um, going to teach and I'm in the parking lot and a woman, Donna Pullman said to me, Sarah, you freak, uh, you better go home and have a shower. I remember I did, I just got up to go teach. I never would miss a day. I loved it. And I reeked of alcohol and I was mortified. And uh, so that was, that was a what, you know, but um, I just remember thinking that, oh dear. And then a year later, I got a DUI. It was a teacher's meeting after school on a Monday. And um, she had us meet at a restaurant. And I had no regard. I, we did not drink and drive in Canada. It was pretty strong up here. Well, people did, but I didn't. I, knew, I didn't have a car. And I just, we, I knew not to. And all of a sudden, I had no rules. And I got a DUI. And I'll never forget that. I had to go to jail, sleep there the night where my same Laura Ashley dressed the next day to teach in. And I remember thinking, they're all going to know I'm wearing the same outfit. I wouldn't have missed work. It's not who I am. And um, I told my principal because um, I was nervous. I don't know why. I guess I had to tell someone. And I told on myself. And she was like, oh, dear, I should never have meetings at a restaurant I could be liable so it was kind of like she took it I don't I don't even I can't even I can't really feel like I feel like someone else took that for me it was like her fault you know um and yet I poured it down my throat um I had two massive (laughs) in any event so I then went ahead and had um beautiful babies with my husband And so for, I didn't drink pregnant. I just, I'm sure like for me, why have one if you can't have a thousand? I didn't crave it. Um, I didn't, I do recall my fourth baby having wine and having heartburn. So not the phenomena of craving with the first drink, but those four years off, the disease is growing, but I certainly, um, if I had the disease by then, um, it wasn't, it was not, um, I wasn't actively drinking. Um, I was pretty busy with babies. Uh, We had four in four years. So as you can imagine, you're pregnant, breastfeeding, pregnant, breastfeeding. So um, there, I I certainly wasn't drinking then. Once the kids were probably between eight and four, that's when I could start kind of, oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine while I make dinner. And, you know, it just started going from there. And then you find the people that drink the way you do, the moms that do, the dads that do, the moms on the soccer fields who would have wine in their coffee cup. I'd be like, that's a great idea. Oh my God, she's brilliant. And um, I, you know, but I'm now um, aware that I can only have one because I'm driving and, you know, just ridiculous. Like you the think the insanity started very young um, or very like right then. And so I'm in my 30s. Um, I'm still, though, telling myself I'm fine because I am very active. Every day I did exercise. I ran a lot. I loved that natural high. And um, my girlfriends I would run with, um, they knew me as a child because I grew up in the same neighborhood. So we were lifelong friends. And I was always like happy Sarah and I, my running, I started all of a sudden, my story started changing as it does. We get sick. Our ego takes over and our perception changes the disease of perception. 
And I started to um, complain, poor me. And they were, it was so easy to recruit them because Sarah had never really complained before. And that's when I can say, you know, you never know when you cross the fine line, but that's when the disease of perception sure entered my life. And I for sure had alcoholism because I would dominate and monologue the run. And my husband at the time was not in a good place emotionally. And so he um, did not celebrate the work I did. I don't, I did not know enough to not celebrate him. He needed compassion. He wasn't doing as well as he thought he would be doing at that age in his life. And I didn't know better to set boundaries and say, this isn't okay. So when I had that painful feeling of him um, being uh, what my story, I told myself that he was not being kind or supportive. I would um, pour me, pour me another drink. And I would talk on the, on the runs about what a poor, terrible fellow he was. So fast forward, I'm 40, running the Chicago Marathon. Doesn't matter if you're doing all that stuff, you can still be an alcoholic. And I couldn't wait to get to the finish line because I heard there were all these beer tents. The, these beer guys were the, the latest was a beer after a marathon was great for you. And um, my girlfriends looked at me like I was Cerberus with three heads. They're like, you want a beer? <laughs> oh, yes, I did. And I wanted to get legless. I wanted to party because we'd run the marathon. The only reason I did it was for the big party. And I had no problem running a marathon. Like, is that not whacked? And I remember thinking, aren't I great? I ran a marathon. And Lisa saying, well, let's like think how much better you would have done if you were like even healthier. Like, you know, you just say these things. And in my head, my disease told me my friends weren't in that great a shape because they had to go home and nap where my that's the powerfulness of the mind when it's under the influence of this untreated disease um i i could care less to go rest so that group um of women my husband called um two years later in desperation to say help me and so keep in mind, I have recruited these women and painted Greg as the worst human being on earth. At this point now, he is definitely presenting as a very angry man. So it wasn't hard to recruit them. And um, they're like, pardon? And he's like, Sarah's an alcoholic. I need your help. She, if, even if, and I remember my friend Sarah McRae saying, he said, if it, even if you can take away um, her as my wife. How about for the mother of my children? She's not well. And those guys froze on that point because they knew I, I prided myself. Um, I shouldn't say prided myself. I love children. I love teaching kindergarten and I loved the chaos before. It did not bother me because they were my own. And I, my mom worked. So I always felt, well, if I'm going to be staying home with them, this is work. So I enjoyed it. I certainly was the one I didn't complain about being home with four kids. I loved it. And I knew it wasn't forever. And um, so they, they heard him, which is beautiful. And they sat in a circle and said, you know, gave the letters of love. I am mortified. I am dying. You know, the ego, I'm so, you know, better than everyone. Like, are you kidding me? And looking around the room thinking they drink too, like as if this is me. 
and I was just mortified. And then I, I realized, you know what? I, the cat's out of the bag. I gotta go to rehab. That's what they're saying. So I'll just go to keep them quiet. Like I realized right then and there I'm pooched. So I go to rehab thinking in my heart of hearts, I am not an alcoholic. And I, uh, one moment, just now a little sip of coffee. Mm-mm. And it's 45 days. Learned a lot. Recruited a lot more people against my husband. Um, and, um, but that's what you do. And all the counselors and wise, wise people knew, gosh, she's, you know, when you're still angry and telling your story, you have not dealt with your step four, your resentments, and you're still sick. Because when you're not angry, you find when you're not sick, uh, when you're in recovery, you find your part in it. And um, you do the St. Francis prayer and you put love to it. Or you do a bridge prayer and pray for those that are your oppressors. And all you guys taught me that. So it's always a bit of a telltale sign when you're um, ranting. In any event, 40 day, day 40, I have five days to go. I drive into Bala, Ontario, straight to the liquor store. <laughs> Grab some wine, pack the smoke, drink in my room, never caught, because that's how good I am. How good I am to stay sick. How awful is that? Worked so against me. My defects of character today, I'm turning, trying to turn into assets. And no one knew, big graduation, get home, family's so happy, and everyone knows nothing about alcoholism and thinks I'm cured. Well, guys, the worst two years of my life. I now have to hide my drinking. Oh, my God. Exhausting. And I got caught about six months in. And so I just said to my family, I better go back there. Like they call it a spin dry <laughs> for, for, for a week and I'll be better. And they're like, oh yeah, you should go back. Went back, you know, felt great. Had great sleeps for a week. <laughs> Came back, hit it again for a year. Awful. Hiding it, um, putting it, I learned in rehab, put it in the recycling. No one goes to the recycling. Um, in the neighborhood, walking the dogs, forgetting which bush it was behind, picking up one. Oh, I can't even tell you, like, just awful. And um, I now am so, so sick. And finally, I just said to Greg in October of 2015, um, you know what? I am not an alcoholic and I'm not hiding this anymore. I'm going to do controlled drinking. And he's like, he just, he can't say no. And he's like, fine. Just like, I'm going to just have to watch you die and burn. And he's dying because, um, at this point we've now had a gift from God. I get pregnant and have another baby and I'm trapped in my own body that entire pregnancy because I know I can't drink and I am pregnant. So I can't drink. And I'm so sick and I want to drink. And it was like, it was hell. It was torture. And I remember I drank and called, I didn't drink and I was 24 weeks pregnant. I'm on my fifth pregnancy. This is the insanity and call the mother care hotline and say, at what point can you drink when you're pregnant? And the gentleman's like, you can't. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Like I was really hoping he'd say I could have one. And I'm dying. 
And I remember having a glass of wine and just being so scared and whipping the gross carton across the room and just not across the room, outside in the pool, whipping it, going, fuck, get this shit away from me. I can't drink this. I'll drink the whole thing. And I wanted to, and I was dying. And it was just awful. 28 weeks, I call back the mother hotline. Like, come on, like, what's going on here? And you guys won't believe it. This is God, wink, God's intervention, God's divine intervention. The same dude, Jared, answers the phone out of the thousands of guys on that end. And he said, Sarah, because I was saying, Jenny, my friend. And he goes, Sarah, go to a meeting. And it was just amazing. So in any event, um, that fall, 2015, um, I used to go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings because, you know, my family bought it and it was great. I looked really forward to your meetings because I could drink for an hour. I'd fill up my teacup. This kind of cup, but this wasn't this wasn't big enough. I filled up the venti at Starbucks. I had the same cup till it fell apart. Fill it up with wine, go sit in a meeting, listen to people talk for an hour and drink. It was great. And then I could chain smoke after the meeting, come home. Parent, family thought I was great. I went to a meeting. And honestly, guys, like obviously, normal drinkers don't go to meetings to drink. And I couldn't even see that, but I'm like, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life, I guess. And thought that was normal. I'll drink every night at meetings for the rest of my life. I wasn't even thinking that way, right? Ridiculous. And I came home once from a meeting and my I'm drunk. And my husband said, um, I don't think the car was straight in the driveway. And he said, I'm taking the children. I'm going to my parents' house. I'm out. He'd never left. And I'm like, there's the front door. Bye-bye. You know, it's all his fault. So here's a great example. You're not doing well in a relationship. You don't set boundaries and you, you're both, you both get sick. And I'm so sick and I believe in God's plan because God put the spotlight on me. And um, by the grace of God, I had a moment of grace. Two days in or three days in, I look around my house completely still and I gone to meetings why did I go to meetings God's intervention who the heck goes to meetings why didn't I just go to a park I knew that you guys said go on your knees I go on my knees and I looked up and went God help me I'm so sick like I've gone to rehab I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous drinking my family I'm as the secrets keep us sick I have the biggest world secret it was awful and i'm telling you that moment of grace ran around the house something came over me i poured out every i was finding booze in our house that i'd never found before like all over these nooks and crannies pour it all down the sink lie in bed cannot sleep the entire night i'm detoxing which makes no sense because i just stopped drinking like an hour beforehand and i'm sweating all night it's like incredible Wake up at 6, go to a 6.30 meeting in Toronto, go to a noon meeting, go to a night meeting, go to a 6.30 meeting the next day, noon meeting, night meeting, 6.30 the next day. Meanwhile, my family's now on day five or six at Greg's parents' house, having no clue what to do with life. My husband has a two-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old. Like, And I'm so self-absorbed, so sick. 
And I called him and said, honey, or as if I said, honey, I said, I am going back to rehab. And he couldn't believe it because he was always saying, you're this, you're that. I'm saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I'm surrendered. I'm done. It's day three. I haven't had a drink. And I now know I can't live in this house with him. I knew that. I knew I needed to go somewhere. If I couldn't like move out and go to one apartment, I'd be drinking. And um, he said, do you want me to drive you? And I said, no, I need to drive my car through those gates. And he came home. We had breakfast with everyone and everyone's just quiet, like as if this is going to work, like they're done. And I go and it was the most incredible experience of my life to go to imagine go to rehab surrendered <laughs> shocker so yeah it was wonderful um it was wonderful i i was so ready um they had aa meetings the rehab i went to was not a gated community you could come and go as you please they're like if you want what we, what we have that's here if you want to drink you can drink so that when you're in the real world and you leave rehab you're not like oh my god those bars it was like there's meetings, there's yoga, there's good food, there's a swimming pool. You can get well here. And there's meetings in the community at AAs every single night. You can take, they called it the druggy buggy, the van. If you have a car, you can drive. I was sober. I was sober, sober. I was done. I was surrendered. I went to meetings every day. I got a sponsor in Bala. They knew me because I'd been there. Um, and I was done. And I, I thought I'd stay a month. And the gentleman, Matt, he was the only counselor who was an AA counselor. All the others had gone to school for addiction counseling. And I knew I couldn't be with anyone who wasn't one of us because I knew I'd to, I could, you know, pull the wool over their eyes. So I said to Matt, would you be my, would you work with me? Because everyone needed a counselor. And he said, no. <laughs> he said, no. I don't have enough time um, and um, I want to work with someone who wants it and you're here for a month. That's not going to work. And I'm like, and he knew Greg's story. He knew everything. He said, you, you go home in a month. You don't have enough tools. You'll drink. So I'm like, well, that's too bad. All right, fine. So anyway, kept doing my thing around six weeks. I see Matt in the parking lot and he said, you're still here. I said, I am. I said, I can't go home yet. And I, I'm scared and I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I've got Marilyn at, in Bala helping me as my sponsor and his eyes opened up and he's like, so come to my office. So I sit in his office and he gave me all these modules to work on guilt, shame, you know, all the stuff we do and, uh, or not that we do more of a counselor would do, but he's AA, he's got 20 something years sobriety. And um, he did a lot of work with me and around entitlement and he was quite stern with me and I'd say you know Matt I think you're not that nice like I don't think we would have been friends in high school and Matt looks at me we would not have been friends and I'm like oh well not nice anyway so we continue on working and I'm able to at this particular rehab why it worked well too I can go home when I want I can see our children I can come back I would do drug, uh, not like blow tests, like to prove I wasn't drinking. It's now Christmas. I've been there two months. And Matt says, you cannot go home. I said, but I have to go home. He said, no, um, like I'm so important, right? How's Christmas going to run without me? 
he said, no, you cannot go home. You are um, unwell and you don't have enough tools and your husband has this. You go home for the day. You set a time, you leave, you give your family Christmas. If you go home for Christmas, this will be your last Christmas. If you stay at rehab, you will have many Christmases with your family. I don't know how it looks. I can't say if it's with your husband or not, but you can't stay. So I went awkward two hours later or four, I don't remember, drove home, got a breathalyzer. I'm bawling the entire day. Like, what have I done? that's where his work was great with guilt and shame because he's like it's not your fault you're this is a disease and um and i do know you don't get it from drinking tea but one in ten ish get it and um the best thing that happened for me so i get back to rehab i'm bawling i'm trying to eat dinner and who shows up but matt guys my counselor shows up and sits down and he had his own family and it's christmas and he, it's not Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Day. And he said, I just know today's hard for you. And I'm really proud you made it that. I think he wasn't sure if I'd go out and just drink. And I, I don't, it's amazing because God must have been, been at the wheel. I didn't even think of it. I just had to get back to rehab. But yeah, think of the pain. And he was a beautiful man. So mid-January, um, Matt has me write a letter to myself, dear Sarah. He's like, I'll mail this to you in April. Um, write a letter to yourself. Um, I hope you're still doing well and going to meetings and doing yoga. And he he was uh, had me write a letter to the bottle and how it wasn't a good friend. And he was just wonderful. And around mid-January, he said, it's time for you to go home now, Sarah, because now other sick people are coming in. And you start getting your ego a bit inflated and you want to help everyone. And now I'm fine. I've got this. And a lot of people now at this rehab were coming in from the Iran. Um, they'd done their mission. So these guys had PTSD coupled with um, alcoholism. And so there was about 12 men and there was maybe only 18 of us. And there was four women and it wasn't appropriate anymore for me to be there. So he said, it's time for you to go home, but you can't go home. And I'm like, what? I have to go home. He said, no, your husband's not well. Um, it's a family disease. And he taught me all about it. And he said, you will, I'm worried you will drink again and you could die. He was the first person who told me I'd die. And I'm like, what? I heard him though. I didn't go home. I have a dear friend who took me in for three weeks. I went to our house every day at 6 a.m. And I left at 10 p.m. because we had the two-year-old and my other four children. And so I didn't sleep there, though, or share a pillow with my husband. It was important that I let them heal while I healed. My father, I, again, another God wink. My dad goes into an old age home three weeks later. And the, I moved into my dad's house because it's still available. My mom was still there. And uh, my mom's not well, though. She is an aneurysm and is like an eight-year-old. So they have caregivers, but I have a place to live. And it's around the corner from my house. So that went on. And I go to my AA meeting at St. Clement's. And the people at um, Greenstone said, the first person who stands up is going to be your sponsor. Do not sponsor shop. And guys, who the fuck stands up? Lisa. Like, like, like look, I love pink. Right? And I'm like, oh, you know, 
I got a pony and everything's great. Lisa stands up and I'm like, oh my God, right? And she's got like black as her favorite color. And I'm like, hi, would she be my sponsor? And she's like, oh God. So she calls her sponsor like, okay, there's this chick. She's got five kids and she likes men. I am a lesbian and have no children. Which Lisa brought up a beautiful, beautiful Max. However, we couldn't have been more up disalike. And she told me we're not here to be friends. And I'm like, okay, this lady does not like me. And oh, did she share the message. Talk about a divine intervention. She told me what I didn't want to hear. She right-sized me every moment. Um, a big joke was, I not joke, I mean, so entitled. I mean, youngest of five with professional parents. And I got away with anything. She'd be like, so did you ask for a pony for Christmas? She's joking. And I'm actually looking at her going, um, you know, I didn't care for horseback riding. Like it was, it was like, like I considered it a pony. Um, basically, she's saying you are so spoiled, entitled and uh, poor me. And she's like, you cannot go home. You need to do a lot of work. And it was the most beautiful, hardest, crying exhausting incredible growth of reparenting um the program reparented me accepting a higher power in my life and it was the most beautiful thing that ever occurred for me and i'm so grateful um and things started changing so january i'm back in toronto um may is my birthday and my husband bought me flowers never anticipated that i had met julie a dear friend of lisa's and ours and she didn't know it was my birthday but we went to my first sober concert uh we loved the christian musics and elise i forgot to tell her that eh but we went she didn't know and it was a christian concert at the sky dome which is our in toronto the biggest like place where they play football let's say or basketball and because it's a christian concert everyone is um um well not everyone but it was predominantly an asian community but no one's wasted and i'm like what's that so it was perfect but i remember noticing that because i think the last concert i went to was the who in grade nine or something so that was so much fun and then june was our anniversary and he bought me a bicycle pump and I don't know, just little things were happening. And then in July, he said, I, I'd love it if you could come up north. And Lisa's like, you got to be, you got to make a list. You need to have boundaries. And she worked really hard with me on that. And so we went up north in July. And you know, when you're kind of someone's looking at you, giving you that look, I remember he was looking at me in the hot tub and I'm like, oh my God, uh-huh. And next thing I know, we could not get our clothes off fast enough. It was fantastic. It had been eight months. Lisa's dying. And um, now I'm dying because I've ruined it, right? Like, what am I going to do? But no, Lisa said we should sit down. And why don't you, you left in October, make it October. You guys have three months to live separately and see what you're moving towards with boundaries. And she was fantastic. And, um, and I had a hard time. Like I, I was like, he was not well, the spotlight had come off me. My kids knew for sure I was surrendered. Um, and now the spotlight's on him as the angry guy. And so I would be like bawling, Lise, like, what do I do? Like, he's a disaster. And she'd be like, so how long were you a disaster? 
um, can you not give him the same amount of grace? And I'd be like, oh my God, I don't like you. Like I could never recruit her. And then I'd be like, Greg's such a jerk. She's like, I'm not Greg's sponsor. I'm like, okay, you know what? Give me something, man. And then she'd come over and goes to meet Greg and goes, Greg, I'm not your enemy. I'm on, I love you. Can I hug you? And I'm like, wait, this is the chick who's supposed to be a mighty. Anyway, she witnessed through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the tools of how a family, a miracle could happen. She saw my children soften. I had two kids who were so upset and couldn't talk to me because um, I lied to them. She saw a husband soften. She saw a family reunite. She saw miracles because um, of this program because I was taught to live in solution. We got together in October. That was the anniversary of my year. My whole family was at my medallion. Greg and I are still not living together that night I moved in. It was very celebratory in the respective dates. I was taught to live in solution. Lisa's line was when Greg would say rude things to me. Um, I must have hurt you very much, Greg, for you to say that to me. We, she was incredible. God spoke through her the entire, and still does, our entire mentorship, sponsorship. And it was like, look at this, what I'm looking at as I'm sharing this most beautiful Gothic story that I can't explain, guys. I can't explain it. Like, why me? As Lisa would say, why not you? I was meant to get sober. So that Greg and I could perhaps have an opportunity at a healthy marriage. It's like, I can't even stand it. Like, I love drinking till it stopped working. But I suppose it was meant to happen. And it's the most incredible thing. I'm taught today it's a disease of perception. If I have an emotion or I'm sad or mad, it's um, a moment to stop and be my own witness because it's just a story and I must have a part in it. The bridge prayer helps me so much if I'm um, looking at someone or judging that they're being rude or insolent or unkind. I pray for them to have everything that I've been so beautifully blessed with and to help them with their patience and kindness and so that they do not inflict it on the next person. And all of a sudden, a wash comes over me and the story's gone. Um, when I'm in a deep emotion and I say, God, this is too big for me, please take it. It's gone. Today, I'm human, so I have emotions. But my cycles, my spinning stories are this big. Where before they were there. And they lasted all day. I'd be walking the dog and literally forget to smell the roses. I could walk four blocks and go, I have thought about this story for the entire walk. About poor me, can't believe this happened. Look who's doing this. And that's that first year sobriety. First year, are you kidding? 20th year, we're human. But now the story is that big or whatever. Like, you know, and it's like, it's like a smaller one. And I can catch it. I can bridge prayer it. And I am okay. And now I don't have to call Lisa every minute of the day so she can guide me. 
we're friends. We call and share with each other our solutions. Oh, Lise, this happened today. It was so interesting. Greg and I were trying to plan March break. I realized that I have control and I want things now. That's my part in it. He's driving me nuts because he won't plan it now on my time. I said to God, this is too big for me. I'm going to give it away. Waiting three weeks drove me nuts. And Lisa, it's so cool, eh? He ended up planning the best trip. And here we are. And I'm just, I love that I gave it to God. And I didn't think about it. And I trusted the universe. And boom. That's how Lisa and I talk today. Or Lisa, I'm having a hard time not living in solution. Can you help me? Or Lisa will share with me how she just lived in solution and something happened. And so we can't compare suffering. Like everyone's story is different. For me, yeah, my story, my thoughts, my emotions are planning a March break. I know others it would be 100% different, but that's my life. That is the life I live. And how do I see my 25-year-old son coupled? We can't go away many times a year once how do I see my 25 year old son and give the nine-year-old a holiday and how do you do it all together and God did it so uh that's giving it away I didn't ruin my days over it I didn't lose sleep over it I didn't fight with my husband over it so there's just so many beautiful ahas that this program continues to give me I live in solution I need to do um step 11 and meditation and prayer. So I do yoga every day um, because I like the movement and it's a moment for me to hear my breathing, still my mind. And oh, it just sets me up for a beautiful day. And I will not ever, ever change my routine. I'm too scared to change it. As a dear friend of Lisa's and ours said, Sarah, be scared. Because I heard yesterday at a meeting down here that I will drink again. This gentleman, Rick, was at a Joe and Charlie symposium, which my sponsor made me give up a weekend to go with her to Joe and Charlie. Oh, she also made me drive to Akron, Ohio to see the Bill and Bob has. Yeah, she's just a big slut, but I love her. And so we, um, and that was the big takeaway Rick got from the Joe and Charlie is I will drink again. And I didn't even like Rick saying that yesterday because I'm like, well, I won't. But yes, unless I am. My spiritual condition is contingent upon my daily rituals, my yoga, going to meetings, sharing what was so freely given to me, passing on this beautiful message and staying well and um, eating well. I'm a big believer of the Trinity, mind, body, and soul. Uh, last night I ate chocolate and I felt like crap. I, I, it's, um, and I have the disease of more and the case of the buckets. Once I start with chocolate or anything gross um, in food, it's just like alcohol. Why stop now? And so I really, Carl said that you just can't eat it. You just can't start. And so that's, that's incredible for me because um, I know it. And sometimes I'll treat myself and do a case of the buckets night, <laughs> but it's awful. So I, I really know if I start my day and um, stay on that trajectory I'm, I'm in great place around four I should always have a tea or a coffee because I kind of want two dinners I'll have one with our nine-year-old and one with Greg at eight and I get a case of the buckets and then go I might as well just eat all that Halloween candy that's still in the garage um, that Tessa thinks is gone but that's my stash 
So, yeah, I, I just feel so blessed to know about solution today. So with that, I think um, I'm just going to share that you guys uh, are incredible and that you got up this early so that I had a meeting to go to and a story to share. And I feel like the luckiest girl in the world. Like, I can't believe that I love drinking. I loved it till it stopped working. And I never, I can't believe how much I love life. I feel like I'm a 12-year-old again, playing kick the can and have a new lease on life. And I can't believe we're given a toolbox. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us on Two Sober Chicks. Hey, if you have a speaker tape that focuses on the 12 steps of recovery and a solution-based life, then please drop us a line at twosoberchicks at gmail.com. I'm Lisa. Thanks for joining us.